It looks scary. It looks like it's not going to happen, right? Those negative voices say that your future is hopeless, that you're not enough, that you're not going to make it, that your best days are behind you. And yet hope says, keep moving forward. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Okay, what is up? Welcome back, 10,000 Knowers. Uh, first of all, thank you for all the, the feedback I've been getting lately. This is awesome to hear the impact we're having on you. Please keep it coming, whether it's an iTunes review, an email to me at info at 10,000knows.com or some post on social media telling your friends, whatever. It is very much appreciated. I am pinching myself about all the great guests I've been uh, able to have on the show, been able to sit down and talk. If you missed last week, by the way, speaking of great guests, if, if you guys missed last week, I, I had legendary record producer Jimmy Jam. He was amazing, told stories about Prince and Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson, just incredible stories, really generous guy. Um, if you're new to 10,000 O's for whatever reason, definitely go back and check it out. It's, it's long. It's like two hours long, but he, he kept talking and he was telling such good stories. I could not stop him. And, um, I'll talk to you in a couple of minutes about the style of this show. But for now, let me introduce you to the incredible John Gordon, who I have the pleasure of talking with today. John is the author of several books, including the Wall Street Journal bestsellers, The Energy Bus, The Carpenter, The Power of Positive Leadership, The Power of a Positive Team, and You Win in the Locker Room First, which he co-authored with former head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, Mike Smith and the Washington Post bestseller Training Camp. He's got a bunch of other books. I'm not going to list them all here, so click on the links under the show notes in iTunes, Spotify, or 10,000knows.com, and you can get everything John Gordon, rather than me, uh, boring you with uh, my voice over this stuff right now. John is one of the top motivational speakers in the country. He has worked with numerous athletic organizations, academic institutions, corporations, including the Los Angeles Dodgers, Pittsburgh Pirates, San Diego Padres, Miami Heat, Oklahoma City Thunder, University of Georgia's Bulldogs, Clemson University Tigers, University of Nebraska Athletic Department, Jacksonville Jaguars, Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco 49ers, Atlanta Falcons, Campbell Soup, Wells Fargo, Northwestern Mutual. Oh my God, it just, it keeps going on. This list is just it's way too long for me to go. Um, again, click on the links, you'll get everything. Um, what you need to know is that he is he he's a leadership specialist and he's obviously very much trusted and valued but more than that he is a really warm individual who just exudes positivity and hopefulness but in a way that's accessible so uh you can sit down with this guy and and feel like you're not a, a total slacker because he's just that kind and the irony is he says that he's not naturally positive, which means that it's possible for all of us, yes, even you who's sitting in your car pissed off about the traffic you're dealing with as I speak, that's that's where the hope 
comes from, that there are techniques that can help you. You know, there are ways to overcome those things that block you. And a lot of what's blocking all of us comes from within. So sit back, let John share his story and see what you can glean from it for your own life. And one last thing, I talked about the style of the podcast before. And what's been cool is that people's responses have been pointing out that what they really enjoy about 10,000 no's over other podcasts, even ones, you know, with huge followings that are bigger than this one is that we've kept it raw. And that's the aim, to let you feel like a fly on the wall for these conversations. And we've had debates, my editor and I, James, over whether or not we should smooth out some of the rough edges. And he's been integral in keeping me true to my original intent, which was to keep it raw. I tried to smooth some things out in last week's conversation with Jimmy Jam, and he said, keep those ramblings, keep those starts and stops. And so we did. And this week... You'll hear what happens with John. This conversation actually takes place over two days. So about halfway through, you'll hear me admit that we had to take a break. And I considered polishing it, somehow trying to edit around it, but ultimately decided to let you hear how it swayed where we went in our talk. But let us know your thoughts. I mean, if you love that style, we'd love to hear about it. If you hate that style, let me know that too. My goal here is to serve you, make the show as accessible and useful to you as possible. Now, that being said, one of the things that we're going to do as we head into 2019, maybe not for the few episodes we have in the can so far, but for anything coming up, we are going to start delivering them in about 45 minutes to you. We're going to continue with this raw style so that you still feel like a fly in the wall, but we're going to break things down. And if it's a long conversation, it will be broken into multiple episodes. Um, We hope you enjoy that. And also another little housekeeping thing, this episode of John Gordon is the last of 2018. We are taking a pause for the holiday so you can go back and root through our library and and listen to old ones that you've missed. And we will be resuming in early 2019. Uh, please keep checking back. And if you're following me on Instagram at Matty Dell, uh, Twitter at Matthew Del Negro, Facebook Matthew Del Negro, there will be announcements when things are coming out. But we have a lot of great episodes coming up for you. But for now, here's John Gordon. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, what it is that you do and and your background a little bit. So I'm a writer and I'm a speaker and pretty much I I write books. I've written 18 books and I go out and speak to companies, sports teams, school districts, you name it on the principles that I write about. And so people will reach out and say, hey, is John available to speak? We get a lot of requests and then I go out and do that. I didn't intend for all this to happen the way it has. I mean, I just started writing these books and then started to be invited to speak on the books that I wrote about. And it's led to this kind of work. I also do a little consulting in terms of consulting with different sports teams, NFL teams, NBA teams, Major League Baseball teams. Uh, I'll work with the coaches. Then they'll have me come in and speak to the team. So I speak on a level of leadership for the coaching staffs, but then I also have a message that I also share with the players. So I'm able to do both of those things. Yeah. And did you come out, you played lacrosse at Cornell. Um, You came out of school. Did you know you wanted to do this? No, no. I, I came out of Cornell, played lacrosse there. I wanted to be in politics. I wanted to go into uh, law and then politics. And I did not get into the law school I wanted to get into. So my LSAT was the bottom 20% that made the 80% possible. (laughs) And so 
I was not a candidate for law school at that time. So I moved down to Atlanta after a failed relationship. I followed this girl to Texas, thought I was madly in love. It did not work out. I drove back in tears from Texas back to New York, to Long Island, New York, where I grew up. And so now I'm living with my parents. My heart is broken. I'm waiting tables. And I remember going to homecoming at Cornell thinking, okay, I got to figure out the next stage of my life. And I was asking people, hey, where should I move? And most people were saying San Fran or Atlanta. I said, you know, Atlanta's on the East Coast. I'm on the East Coast. I'm going to go. A friend from high, school, from high school said, I'll go with you. So we drove down to Atlanta in a car with a bunch of stuff, got an apartment, and I started waiting tables down there. How old are you at this point? I'm 22 years old. 22, okay. 22, going to create my life. And after waiting tables, I'm thinking, there's got to be a better way to make money than waiting tables. So I said, let me get a bartending job. And so I was able to get a bartending job in Buckhead. And so now I'm 22 years old, bartending in Buckhead, making some great money. Decided to get my master's in teaching from Emory University. So I'm going to become a teacher while I'm bartending. And that began the journey. Sounds similar to the Matthew Del Negro story here. <laughs> Waiting <laughs> tables, bartending. Yep, yep. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be an actor, though. I just yeah. wanted to uh, I, I just wanted to create a life. I thought I would, you know, do something successful. I didn't know what, but I had no idea. I had no plan. I recently spoke to the UNC lacrosse team along with the Ohio State lacrosse team. It was for a uh, a foundation, the Michael Bresci Foundation that they raised money for. Coach Bresci's son passed away when he was a, a, a young boy. And so for years they had this foundational dinner and event. And so I spoke to both teams and one of the young men said, this is great stuff, but what do you think about life. And when we graduate, like, what do we, how do we figure out what we're supposed to do with our lives? I said, you know, there are no perfect roadmaps and it's not a straight line. So I gave them my story about, you know, going down to Atlanta, waiting tables and bartending, owning a bar, running for city council, walked door to door to 7,000 houses, lost the election when I was 26 years old. So thought I was going to be in politics, right? Mm -hmm. That didn't work. Went to law school after that, a year and a half, quit law school after a year and a half and said, okay, what am I going to do? Went to go work for a dot-com. I was one of the first employees that I was going to make my my millions because I had a lot of shares and that went downhill. My wife and I were fighting all the time. We're around 30 years old at this time. And again, don't know what the future is going to, is going to hold and, and what I'm going to do and wind up uh, opening up some Moe's Southwest Grills to try to hopefully, well, first it was just to open one, second mortgage to our home, $20,000 in credit cards. Not sure if it's going to make it, but I knew I wanted to write and speak. So the goal was to open up this restaurant that would allow me to write and speak. Because I realized at 30, 31, that's what I'm here to do. Uh, Moe's barely breaks even, almost went bankrupt like a number of times, very scary. But somehow we were carried. Look back spiritually, I, I believe God carried us. I remember saying, provide for me and I will do your work. I will make a difference. And somehow, some way, a miracle kept showing up to just carry us as we made our first profit. It was incredible. We made our first profit literally as the last dime was running out of our, out of our account. Incredible moment, incredible time. I still remember it like it was yesterday. And after that, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this writing and speaking thing and see if I can do this. So when you say made your first profit, you mean through the through the restaurant through the restaurant right we okay. finally made a profit because so every week did. we were breaking even we weren't losing money we weren't making money so we finally fit, made our first profit like where we were able to take money and deposit it into the bank as the last time was leaving and it was incredible and after that all of a sudden it took off 
Next thing you know, that restaurant became one of the top Moe's Southwest grills in the entire country. There was only five or six, you know, at the time, but then uh, now there's over 300 of them. I don't own them anymore, but it was uh, it was definitely a, you know, a, a crazy time. So how do you talk to people? Because a lot of people listening now have gotten used to, first of all, thank you for being so transparent. It's nice to hear someone come on that, that you know, the show is called 10,000 No's. It's nice to hear someone come on and just like very freely talk about you're so successful now, but to then hear you talk about, you know, going door to door and, and losing an election and, and going, having a bar go out of business, you know, all of that stuff uh, is really refreshing. I guess my, my question is, what, how do you talk to someone who's listening right now and they're in that very position that you were in? You said, I know what my life's work is going to be. And maybe people listening don't even know that. Yep. And But you're you're like, I'm hanging on by a thread here. And everybody in my life is looking at me going like, you're crazy, man. Moe's, that's not going to work for you or whatever it is that they're doing. How, what, what do you say to that person? You say to them that, again, there, there, there is no straight line. And so the key is to show up every day. And to stay positive through your challenges and through your adversity. As I told those young lacrosse players, we don't know what the future holds, but you have to show up every day and you have to trust that the best is yet to come. And that I could have never imagined that this is where my life would be. And so many people I've talked to have experienced all these no's and failures along the way, eventually find their way. And it looks scary. It looks like it's not going to happen, right? Those negative voices say that your future is hopeless, that you're not enough, that you're not going to make it that your best days are behind you. And yet hope says, keep moving forward, keep trusting, keep believing the best is yet to come. So for me, it really is about faith over fear. What do fear and faith have in common? They both believe in a future that hasn't happened yet. So fear believes in a negative future. Faith believes in a positive future. So if neither has happened yet, why wouldn't you choose to believe in the positive future? And I think that was me. I, I look back I just kept somehow, some way, through all the no's, kept moving forward. And I remember going door to door and there were some no's, like, get out of here. Like, I'm not voting for you. Like, I was getting a lot of no's, right? 7,000 door to door. I got a lot of no's along the way. A lot of people did not vote for me. I lost the election. But looking back, I realized sometimes you have to lose a goal to find your destiny. And I talk a lot about grit as well. And... Grit is the number one predictor and factor of success. It's not talent. It's not title. It's not wealth. It's not good looks. It's grit. The ability to work hard for a long period of time towards a goal, to persevere, to overcome, to keep moving forward in the face of adversity, failure, rejection, and obstacles. So when life knocks you down, grit says get up and keep moving forward. So if grit drives us, though, I often think about what drives grit. And it's vision. Where do I want to go? If you can see it, you will create it. If you have a vision, you also have the power to make it happen. So what's your vision? Keep your vision alive. And that's what I, I did with writing and speaking. Like I did 80 free talks when I got started. We can talk more about that if you want, but 80 free talks, so many no's, so many, reje so many rejections, but I knew this is what I wanted and I saw the future. And so that was something I said, I am willing to pay the price of all the adversity and rejection that greatness requires if I truly want to be great at it. So that kept me going, that vision. Then there's optimism and belief. You have to have that optimism and belief that the best is yet to come. And it's not Pollyanna positive because we know that pessimists don't change the world. 
Naysayers talk about problems, but they don't solve them. Critics write words, but they don't write the future. Throughout history, it's the positive leaders, the believers, and the dreamers, and the doers that, that go on to change the world. So for me, like you have to be naive enough to be successful and just like keep moving forward. Like That was me. I wouldn't allow the event to define me. I wouldn't allow the failure to define me. And my wife like even said, like, you weren't very good, but you just kept going. Like you weren't, I wasn't a good speaker. I wasn't a great writer early on. Like, but you just kept going and doing it and showing up. And I think a lot of people, they want to be perfect. They think that they have to have the perfect plan. And that's not the way life works. So grit comes from that optimism belief through the uncertainty. And then I really think it's about purpose. Like, why are you here? We don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So like, what's our purpose that drives us? And for me, it really was to inspire and empower as many people as possible, one person at a time. And so I went on this first book tour. I went on when the energy bus came out and I went to 28 cities, paid for myself. Five people showed up in one city, 10 people in another, 20 people in another. The most people we had were a hundred people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up. <laughs> And that is a true story. That is not a joke. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And I look back on that. It was but like, people don't believe that, but I completely yeah. believe it because I've had my own version of, of these that, kinds of things. Yeah. So, and right, like, hey, you know, it. I've seen you in that. Meanwhile, I wasn't in that yeah. movie. And so I just went and did it. And that was the thing. Like, went on this tour, just just went all around. And I've had people say, that was pretty inefficient that you did that. But it was the only way that I knew with the grit to just do it. And the purpose was one person at a time. And that's what happened. I met someone on the tour that was a principal, invited me to speak at their school. Jack Del Rio got the book, who was the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars at the time, and invited me to speak to the team and bought a copy for everyone. Next thing you know, Mike Smith is on his staff as a defensive coordinator. He becomes the head coach of the Falcons. He saw me speak, read the book, saw the impact it had, said, I want to do this with our team, called me up, didn't even talk to Mike when I was there. Said, will you come speak to the Falcons? That began a seven-year career of working with the Falcons, Matty Ice from, from Boston College. And that experience, which then led to University of Texas and then Georgia and then a relationship with Clemson for seven years. Now the Dodgers and the Rams all tied back to that one coach and that one tour years ago that led to all these things now. And so that's the thing. Like you just show up, you do it. You don't know what the future holds, but you have faith, you trust. And that's what I would tell those people. You said a long answer to that, to that yeah, question, I but, love that. but that's what you, you know, Hey, show up, go for it. Love it. Dream it every day. Just start to live it. It may not work out, but you know what? You'll always regret if you don't go for it. And more often than not, when you go for it and you have that grit, whatever your destiny is, I think will, will become. If it doesn't work out, certain things didn't work out. I wanted to be in city council. I wanted to be a congressman. When I was in college, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna become a pres I'm gonna become president one day, which I think I can help our country right now. <laughs> but but I was like, you know, but clearly that wasn't part of my path, you know. So I think the things that are meant for you, you know, really stick, and the things that aren't fade away if you live this way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh... <sighs> It's so cool to be able to sit down with people like yourself and hear the recurring themes from different people I speak to, and you all put it in a different way. And then I was just doing an interview for someone else's podcast yesterday, and 
in my own life, I'm saying the same thing in my own words, but you know, for someone who, who's out there listening and they go, yeah, well, it's easy for him to say because he's had all these best-selling books and he's speaking at pro sports. It's like, yeah, but at the time he didn't know that. And a, as a buddy of mine used to say, whenever things were tough and we were kind of like, oh man, this is tough as actors. And he's like, you know, this is the part of the movie that people really like to watch. Like, you know, they like to see the character when they're in this stage of the game. It was like we were, you know, in New York and kind of like struggling. And and and, and it's true. Like people forget that all of the movies that we watch that we're so inspired by, that character is going through hell in the beginning. That's why we're <laughs> yeah. watching them. Yep. And, and, and yet we don't want to go through it ourselves in our own life. If there was no struggle, there would be no triumph. If yeah. there was no obstacle and no failure along the way, there would be no sense of victory. And so we have to go through the obstacle and the challenge to ultimately enjoy the outcome and the success. And I think about you, and by the way, I hope people will listen to my podcast, Positive University, where I interview you, because I bet some of your, your followers actually don't know your full story. They just probably listen to you. So I, I would love them to listen to your interview that I did with you because it was awesome. And I, and I just love your your title of this of 10,000 no's because it is so real because this is what you have to go through to achieve success. Everyone thinks you were just born that way. Everyone think it's, it's automatic. People think now that I've written 18 books and sold 3 million copies of my books that it was always like that. No, I got rejected by over 30 publishers for my first book, The Energy Bus. I have tons of emails that I still keep in a folder that I sent out when I first started saying, hey, I'm John Gordon, I wanna come speak to your organization. I did 80 free talks for free. And then I remember saying, I'm $500. And I'm like, okay, now I'm $1,000. And now I'm $2,500. I'm like, I'm a $5,000 speaker. I remember I was so excited, I'm gonna start charging and see what happens. And I look back on that, it was like one step at a time, just again, doing this. So people don't realize that there's so many no's to get to the yes that you want, but you know what I find? All those rejection emails that I got or, or no responses, it was weird. Even though I, I, I put all those out there and didn't get a lot of response, something came in from another, another opportunity, another direction. Yeah. It was almost like when you put it out one way, you get it another way, but not the way you think it's gonna happen. Right. Maybe that's with acting too. Like you're going on, going on, and you get the audition that you weren't expecting. You were thinking this was gonna work and something else happens. Yeah. And I think that's part of life where you think you're in control when you're not, but your job is just to put it out there and be the conduit and be open to the possibilities. Yeah. There's a difference I wrote about in my book, Training Camp, between a resistor and a conductor. A resistor holds on to its electrons. And so it only has limited power by holding on to its electrons. It doesn't give and receive, it just holds on to what it has. So there's a limited supply of power, but a conductor freely gives and receives of its electrons. And so the power comes from the current that flows through it. It becomes a conductor. And I think when we just start putting ourselves out there, we become a conductor for the miracles that are meant to happen. I, I really agree. And I, and I think... Um where I I see that in my own life is actually this podcast itself. I, we a friend of ours was was over earlier, and said something to the effect of like I feel like re something really big is coming your way right now. And I said I I I actually feel that way too. I, I and I think what it is is exactly what you just said. It's like 
in this position, it's kind of cool. And you have a podcast yourself and you're speaking and it's kind of, you're an example of this, but when you put yourself in a position, like, like by definition, what I'm doing with these interviews is allowing all of these incredible people to, to come through me and then out through the podcast. And it's almost impossible not to have it in some way stick Part, particles of it stick on me. That's what it feels like. Yeah. It feels like, uh, or it feels like, the you know, when I'm writing and you're an accomplished writer, so you must feel this. But, but any writer that I've spoken to and I've experienced it myself, when it's really flowing, it feels like it's it's not us. It feels like it's a higher power or it feels yeah. like it's different people have different yeah. words for it, whether it's the universe or it's the, the collective unconscious or it's God or whatever. But it does feel like it's other than than me controlling it. Yeah. And we, that's what it feels yeah, like. Yeah, we realize that we're we're not the author, just the pen. And you hear about these musicians that all of a sudden the song came to them and they wrote on a napkin within like a minute, right? You hear these stories of like, oh, I wrote this uh, book in, in this amount of time. When I wrote The Energy Bus, it took three and a half weeks to write the book and it became my biggest bestseller. Three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks. And how long is it? It's 140, 50 pages. It's a fable, so it's quicker to write, I'd say, than a regular book, but just flowed through me. And it was spiritual. It was magical. It was like... It was divine inspiration. And I can look back at that time. It was just powerful. But but this is what I want to point out for people. Because because I, I, I just, I, I hate interjecting, but I also, I want to go, people go, yeah, well, it came through him and that's great for him. Okay. It came through him. He had this religious experience through it, right? Then he got rejected 30 times yes. by 30 publishers. Nobody wants to hear that part. And it's like, oh yeah, well, he got rejected 30 times. And you could say that in one little sentence, but what was that? actually like to experience and how long did that how long of a period was that from when you wrote it you know you said you wrote it in three and a half weeks yeah. how long was it to go through those 30 rejections before you got to the point where somebody said they would publish it probably six months maybe even a little bit longer it wasn't a long long time but it felt like a long time because I had sold the restaurants to focus 100% on this at that time it was like I had to let go of the past to create my new future. So I had this clear direction. It was a spiritual experience moment where I was like, okay, it's time to sell. I was reading a magazine, going to a speaking engagement and said, how to know when to sell your business. On the way back from the speaking engagement, a different magazine said, how to value your business when selling. <laughs> I walked in, I said, honey, we're selling the restaurants. It's time. Cause we had eventually opened three and I said, yeah, we, I'm going to focus on writing and speaking. I have to do this. This is my, my, my calling. And my wife said, no, 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 we can't do that. She goes, what happens if it doesn't work? I said, there are no other options. Like I have to do this. And so we sold. And so now we have a little bit of money, not a ton, but a little bit to get us by and maybe a year, you know, a year or two, which again, but after like half a year now, six, seven months, I haven't written the book yet. Nothing's coming to me. The speaking's not going well. So now I'm seeing this money that we're living off of drying up. I'm thinking, okay, what's next? What do I do if this doesn't work? I'm even having these fear and doubts. And then one day on the walk of gratitude, I take a thank you walk each morning. 
So it's a way to flood your body and brain with these positive emotions that uplift you rather than the stress hormones that slowly drain and kill you. And the research shows you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. So I was doing this walk of gratitude I started to train myself with and do. I also started to pray a little bit at that point. Like, okay, God, I need help here. (laughs) Like, help me. So for me, it was God. You know, other people can call what they wish. But for me, it was like, all right, God, I need help. And all of a sudden, I'm telling you, like the idea for the energy bus came to me about a bus driver who changed a passenger's life. 10 rules for the ride of your life. I had three. I sat down, I started writing it. And one rule led to the next, which led to the next. And every day I would walk and pray, come back, I'd get more of the story. Come back, write it up. It would be gone. Next day, do the same thing. More of the story unfolded. So every day it was like this trust that the story was gonna unfold every day. And somehow it did. And I have to be honest, every book I've written since has taken about three and a half, four weeks to write. How I wrote, many hours a day are you actually- I write, writing? I get up in the morning and I write for, um, you know, I get up real early and then I'll write for a few hours, maybe even an hour and then go take a walk. Then I take that walk of prayer and gratitude. Then more ideas come in. And now sometimes I'll even bring my phone with me, but not on, I got to shut the, you know, the signal off. So, you know, I'm not interrupted. You do and voice memos? Yes, yeah, so I'll voice memos or I'll just start typing some things into it and email it to myself. And I come back and I print out, you know, the, the page of all the ideas. And then I'll somehow weave that into what I wrote for that day. And then- I'll write for a few more hours. So I'm done by 12 o'clock, by noon, say, and I'm done. But before I go to bed, I'll read what I wrote and I'll edit it a little bit and I'll get some new fresh ideas, write those down, go to bed, wake up, and then start again. And you'll wake up with those staring at you, the, the new ideas. The new ideas, and then they maybe even get a new idea, but I'll write down that. And then again, go for the walk, come back. And so it's this process of, of every day. My wife calls me the mad scientist because, um, you know, during that time, because like, it's almost like I'm downloading what needs to be shared. And again, I believe this is not, I'm not special. I believe this is for everyone. I believe the reason why I can write these books is because I'm open to it. And I believe that it's going to come. And I believe in the possibility. And I, and I think that's the key. I think that's the difference. Like when there's a no, you got to believe that the yes is coming. Here's how manifestation works. People talk about manifesting all the time, right? Manifest. It, it hit me the other day how it works. And we get ideas that come in all the time. Impulses, ideas, desires that just come to us. And I believe those are gifts from God, that, they, that God gives us these gifts that are meant for us. And too often what happens is when those ideas come in, we poo-poo them and we don't feel worthy and we don't believe that it's possible. We don't think we can do it or we don't believe that God can do it. And so we don't have, we don't have trust and we don't believe. And so those ideas that are meant for us, we never act on. But what you're meant to do is believe that it's possible. That's all you have to do is believe. And when you believe and then act on it. I was just going to say. So you believe, you then act on it, then you receive. So believe, act, receive, because you're receiving what God had for you in the first place. It was meant for you. And you're meant to just go act on it and take the action without a lack of concern or fear or belief. But fear holds people back. They don't act. Doubt holds people back. So don't act unworthiness holds people back. I remember walking in San Diego before an engagement early on and just saying, God, I, I am, I feel so unworthy, but, but, but I, I am not unworthy. I am worthy. And I did like a, a 30 minute walk of, I am worthy. I am worthy. Yeah. I am worthy. Like not in myself, but just in, in this mission that I have to make a difference. And it was like this feeling of, I am just worthy to do this and make a difference. It's not about me. It's about making a difference because I felt unworthy and I had the imposter syndrome. Like, who am I to be doing this? Who am I to be on stage to be sharing this? And, um, 
I would often have this joke with myself. I, I would often say, but but who was Tony Robbins before Tony Robbins was Tony Robbins, yeah. right? He was he was just some guy named Tony or yeah. Anthony. Like who was he before he was anything? Like and, and he I, talks about that because I'm like, yeah. who am I? To, who am I to be sharing this? And so now people say, oh, it's hey, John Gordon's here, and it cracks me up because I'm like, who's John Gordon? Like yeah. so, I think it's that thing of like you have to feel like the worthiness to do the work you're called to do and believe that it's possible. And it's actually that simple. And, and I'm going to give one more, one more additional. Would thing love it. Because I, I completely agree. But, but what may be lost on some people is, did you hear what John said about the actual strategy? So some of the writing strategy, I have a friend who apprenticed a, an Academy award winning screen screenwriter and, and, that was a similar strategy. Now, like, you know, everybody goes, well, you got to believe it. You got to want it. You got to do it. You got to work. Yes. And you also have to set up your life through great habits. Like for you, it's the, the, that uh, gratitude walk or it's the voice memos, which I do a lot of those too, which I stole from my friend working with this guy. So this guy would go, he would walk around, he would do voice memos. He would email them to the office voicemail. My friend, as his apprentice, apprentice at the time, would would type out everything that was said, put them in the notes section of the document. The next day, the guy would come in, you'd see the notes. Oh, then, then also the other assistants, they would take those notes and put them in the right part of the document. So it was like a there was a workflow that, you know, that's what I think sometimes people, they go, okay, you know, I've heard this thing lately. People are talking about... Uh, the secret. And, and somebody was saying, well, they don't, that's not, you're, you're bastardizing it. If you're just saying like, you're, you're just going, I think this, I think this, I'm going to attract it. It's like, yes, you do that. And you have habits that set you up to go be able to receive it and actually put it into a book. Cause I'm thinking, as you're saying this, I'm like, I'm getting ideas all the time. Yep. And only lately have I felt not lately, I'd say intermittently through my life where I felt like I could actually harness them and, and you know, alchemize them into something that actually was worth something. Love that. Lo- I love most that. Most of the time that. it's like it comes in, I'm, I'm not, you know, I didn't, I didn't manage my time enough, so I didn't actually get it done or I didn't know how to do whatever it was. You know? I love that. And I, I couldn't agree more. But I also know this, that just because you have a vision or an idea doesn't meant it doesn't mean it's meant for now. Sometimes you're giving an idea and a vision that's meant for later. And so you just have to write that down as well and not meant to act on that. So I think it's important to actually look at the ideas and the visions and think, okay, is this meant for me now? Am I meant to focus on this now? Habits are key and having your life set up to actually implement things is essential, but also there's a timing for everything as well. And I think also you're stepping into your time that's meant for you right now. Like everything in your past has prepared you for where you're going now. And I agree, this podcast that you're doing is gonna be just, you know, it's gonna be huge. It's gonna take off in big ways. And everything you're doing, you go into another level right now. So all the seeds that you've been planting over the years are now starting to to, to reap and to grow and eventually will produce an incredible harvest. And I think that's the key is I think a lot of times when people don't get instant gratification, instant success, they also give up because they want it right now. But no, you gotta keep doing the work, planting the seeds of, things that you know is meant for you and knowing that along the way, the visions that come, you'll have to just decide, am I supposed to do this right now or later on? Yeah. Like I have books that I've had for 10 years that in my mind that I know I'm supposed to write, but I haven't had them 
yet. And we had a near death experience on a plane that looked like it was going to crash. I knew where you, you did. Yeah, we did with a, my wife and kids. I, I knew we like, we, yeah, engine caught on fire. We had to do an emergency an- landing How back at LAX uh, a couple of years ago. Oh my God. And, um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. You let it that Maybe, maybe we'll leave that, that one in there. <laughs> that was keep, a good one. That was a good one. Awake, yeah. That was a good one. I usually go in threes and fours. But, anyway, go on. But I knew we were. I knew we weren't going fully down in a way because I'm like, wait a second, this can't be happening. I have these other books that I'm supposed to write that have come to me. So I was like, that would be weird. So I, I feel like again, the vision maybe not meant for now, but it's meant for later. So you write your ideas down. And then I think in the right time, you start to implement these ideas. We just started a training division where we're now training on positive leadership to equip leaders around the world to be great leaders. That's my next mission from a, a business perspective to do that, to, you know, a, you know, a calling perspective. So I've written these books. Now I know I'm meant to develop leaders. And I had the idea years ago, but I know now that it's time. Like my, both my kids are in college. I'm now ready to go to the next level to develop that and develop others on that. For for years, it was me, the solo act, writing and speaking, and that's it. Now I'm having to build teams to actually implement these other ideas and equip and develop leaders who are going to develop leaders. And it's a lot harder to do that. It's more challenging. I'm have, having to implement the principles I write about. Yeah. It's hard to, it's easier to write about them to actually lead others and build great teams. But I'm actually doing that now. My, yeah, my latest books, The Power of a Positive Leadership, The Power of Positive Leadership and The Power of a Positive Team are the two books that we're taking now for training programs and, and consulting programs to develop leaders and build strong teams. That's amazing. How many bestsellers do you have, by the way? Six. Six bestsellers. Six. It's crazy. I, you know, by the time you've you've gotten to this point in the interview, you will have heard my intro of John with just the, the incredible the organizations he's spoken to and the and the books he's written and and the impact they've had. Um, it, it's it's really kind of astounding. Okay. So, okay. So we, we are back. I want to go full disclosure here with everybody listening. Uh, this is day two of the interview and, uh, I wasn't sure how I was going to approach it. And this is what I did. I wanted to share it with you guys. So John came over, he had a conversation with me and my wife and it just kind of it kept going and it was a great conversation. And all of a sudden we looked at our clocks and we said, Oh, let's get in there and record. We started recording. We got to the point in the interview yesterday where John had to go to an appointment while he's out here in LA and we had to cut it. And he said, I can come back tomorrow. And I, and I thought about it. I was like, well, do I even want to let the audience hear this, that this happened? And I thought there's a great lesson in here. And we talk about, you know, the whole style of this show is that it's it's raw and it's uh, authentic. And we're throwing words like that around. And I thought, well, how can we live up to that? And, and the lesson for me was sometimes you don't know exactly how you're going to get the gifts that you're going to get. And and you don't know what form it's going to come in. You, you think it's going to be, I'm going to sit down with, in an interview with this guy. And it turns out you're having a conversation with your wife with this guy. And it was a really positive effect on my on my wife because he's a positive guy, although he surprisingly told us that he's naturally negative, <laughs> even though he's wearing a shirt that said, stay positive. Uh, that's why he does it. But um, we had a conversation that I can't even remember if it was recorded or not about writing. Yes, I think it was recorded and, and how John writes. And this morning I got up for my morning routine and something just 
literally wrote through me and I emailed it to him this morning and I thought, ha, I mean, that's a pretty good gift to get. And if we interrupted one of my episodes, got interrupted and bumped into two days, who cares if I got that? So that's kind of the lesson is, you know, as much as it's like, we got to grind, we got to grind. Everybody thinks that these days. It's also being open to inspiration and happy mistakes and and destiny in some way of things that were supposed to happen the way you didn't plan them out to be. So here we are, we're back again. Yeah, I want to add to that. I think sometimes we try to control things so much that we don't make room for miracles. And when we were talking with your wife yesterday, I, I knew like, okay, this is supposed to happen like this. We're not supposed to rush into this call, this into this uh, talk right now. We're meant to really be in that moment. And we all just embrace that moment, which is awesome. And then when you sent me what you wrote this morning, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I was like, did you just write that just now? Yeah. You're like, yeah, like, really? I mean, that's something you would take like probably a year to work on what you just wrote. It was incredible. And again, it's not me. It's the fact that I encourage and inspire it. And I think when people uh, are encouraged, inspired, they just do amazing things that that's in them, that, that needs to come out of them. And that's why I think you do this podcast, right? To To bring things out of people that they didn't know they had. Yeah. And that's the whole, yeah, that's the whole point of it is as someone's listening and they're going, I think what happens for me and, and from what I've heard from the listeners that, that give feedback and for any human is we, we, Constantly are thinking, you know, we're on our own in in this. Sometimes it feels like a battle. Sometimes it feels like, you know, we're just, we're on our own. We're the only one who's gone through this. And the, the whole point of the podcast, yeah, is that we, people feel less alone and they hear a story. And, and, and really for myself, I'm hearing the story, you know, I'm hearing your story yesterday and I'm identifying with it. And then you give me a little bit of a hit of inspiration and it just it just took for whatever reason something that you said made sense and you know the the one thing is i feel like something was riding through me and then the other thing you said something about like that, that i've been sowing the seeds and now it's like it's kind of the fruit is coming up and i do feel like even as i wrote that this morning so so just to tell you guys uh, and hopefully you'll be able to read it someday um it was a children's book and it kind of popped out of me um, and really where it came from was I wasn't even intending to, I was, I was rejiggering the opening of the podcast and I had, I had recorded some stuff yesterday and I thought when I went to bed, uh, there's another phrase that needs to be in there. So I got up and I started working on it. You know, I told you I get up super early. I started working on it. And, um, and as I was working on it, I wrote the phrase, the Valley of nose. And I was like, huh, that's kind of cool. And I opened a new document. I thought of you and I was like, yeah, just, just give room for it. I opened a new new document. I, I copied and pasted that phrase, the Valley of Nose, into this document. And then all of a sudden I just went, uh, the road to yes, children's book. And I just started rhyming. And as I wrote it, I thought, when I was in high, you know, you think about another note. When I was in high school, we had a variety show. And you do like, you know, you put on skits or whatever. And a couple of guys a year, a couple of years ahead of me did this thing, the Sunoco shuffle. It was really funny. There's guys that were like lacrosse players and they did this rap and it was great. And when I was a senior, I did this like football rap that was kind of like the Super Bowl shuffle, you know. And I went to Gil Freeman, who uh, may he rest in peace, but he was the, um, the, the head of the drama department. And I never did theater there. And I just, I said, Hey, Gil, I wrote this thing for all the guys on the team. And I had written this whole rap. 
And it was, I thought it was pretty good. I can still remember parts of it. And, and he was like, "Now nah, we're not going to do that. And we never did it. And I never did anything with it. And as I was writing this morning, I was doing this children's book. I was like, I can do this. You know, like <laughs> I, I spent my year, my years with cardboard and break dancing. Yeah. I can write this. Thing. And it just popped out. And it was so. It was Dr. Seuss like. It was Dr. Seuss like. And I and I love old, oh the places you'll go. So it was inspired by that definitely. Um, so yeah. So so we we kind of covered. I, I wrote down. I thought for today. I was like, what can we cover in this short period of time today? And that we kind of have just covered the top two. Um, and it's something else I want to ask you about. Uh, you are. You're so you're so humble, and and you got such a warmth about you, which is how we got into that conversation with my wife. But you said something to me um, about I was asking you about uh, you had had Tim Ferriss on your podcast, and I said how how'd that happen? And you know you said something, and you said well, I said you said something along the lines of well maybe we could make that happen, and I said you think he'd do this? And you said. Why not? And so there, this is kind of a two-part question, which is that spirit of making the big ask um, and why not and why wouldn't they do it? Where does that come from in you and has it always been there? And then the other thing was you said, you, you said, I got to give you a little advice. When you're selling it, when you go to people, lead with Scandal and Sopranos. And you said, I know you're humble and you don't like to do it, but just lead with that. So just give us a little riff on your thoughts on all of that. Well, one, I mean, that's part of your success. It's part of who you are. It's it's not your full story, but it lets people know, hey, you've done some great work and you're someone who's very interesting. Like, I want to know about Sopranos. It's, it's, icon- it's one of the most iconic shows ever. And you were on it. Scandal, a huge hit. I told my daughter I was going to be, uh, you know, interviewing you when you were on my podcast. And uh, she was like all excited, right? Because she remembers you from the show. And so people were intrigued. That's the bling. That's the bling. Now, if it's just the bling and that's all you are, then it's not enough. But that's just the bling to get their attention because they don't know you. And so you have to have something that makes them want to get to know you and maybe want to do your show. But once they get to know you and they do your show, they're going to realize that you're so much more. They're going to realize the depth of who you are and what you're bringing to the world. So I think it's just more about, from a marketing perspective, you have to have the headline that makes them want to read the article or watch the show, right? It's the movie quote that says, you know, the best movie I've ever seen. So I tell people like, you know, like when people ask me for a quote for their book, I said, not since MLK have I heard such inspiring words, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And a friend of mine actually put that on his book thinking I was serious. I go, no, I was just kidding. But you need like the movie quote that gets people to want to read the book or watch the movie. So to me, your sizzle is what you, you know, what you've done in your career and success. So that's why you want to bring them into that. So who wouldn't want to be on your show? talk to you and get to know you. But the big ask also, I think that was just something I was born with. I've always had that uh, mindset of like, why not? And just go for it. Again, I think being, you know, I was always shorter than everyone. I was the little guy with grit, you know, not in a Napoleon con, you know, uh, complex, but just a, a shorter guy. My brother was six two, you know, so I always had to fight, you know, for more. We played basketball in the backyard being short. I had to be quicker, had to be a better shooter. And again, I told an audience the other day, like, I wish I was taller. I really do. Because especially when I speak to all these professional athletes and college athletes, and I'm just so short. But 
I realized that if I was taller, then I wouldn't be me. Because that's what made me who I am. And if you change one thing, you have to change everything. Yeah. Because it's the one thing that probably made you who you are in many ways. So I always had this grit and I always had to prove myself. And even I was a high school football player, lacrosse player, basketball player. And so you're competing for starting positions. And, you know, obviously I wanted to be a starter. I was a competitive person and had that drive to, to, I think, to prove myself. I think to, to try to have some value, I believe. I was always trying to prove myself, which eventually will be your demise. We talked about constraint yesterday. Right. I think probably, I don't think we talked about it on, on here, but you have a constraint that will, you know, make you work harder to try to, to be great and to be of value. But if it's coming from a wound and a, and a want and a, and a need to be liked and recognized, eventually that will bring you down if you don't deal with that and heal it. So, and I have healed it. So that's what allows me to do the work I do now in a, in a way that, you know, knows it's about others, not myself, because I, I have healed it, but it, it drove me for a long time. And so I think I had that drive to want to be successful. And so I think in competitive sports and then going to play lacrosse at Cornell University and same thing now with division one, you know, highest level of lacrosse, you're competing. And I think I had faced so much rejection, you know, 10,000 no's. I had faced so many rejection with sports and adversity and told, you know, you're not good enough. And, you know, playing college, really? You think you play lacrosse in college? Like people who just doubted that when it came time to even start as a writer and speaker, I was like, you know, I've been told I couldn't do it so much. Like I proved them wrong all the time. So I just have to prove them wrong again. Yeah. So to me, it was like, I just have to prove people wrong who don't believe in doubt because I've been doing it my whole life. And I think when you're used to those rejections and you realize those rejections don't define you, right? Failure doesn't define you, it refines you to be all that you're meant to be. And so I think my journey through life was just always expecting and believing and just saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. So I don't know, I think I was born with it in some ways to say, you know what, yeah. why not me and why not expect and why not just go for it and just see what happens. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to, I, again, I, I keep thinking about the audience listening and I identify with what you're saying. I feel like I just said something similar the other day when I was being interviewed and yet, in in certain arenas, I find that I question myself, doubt myself, don't feel worthy. Um, you know, I think the the specific thing we were talking about, I was saying uh, about having Reese Witherspoon on the show. And you said, yeah, ask her. And I said, well, she's so busy. And I just went through a whole list of really what you could look at as excuses. And you never know until you ask. And then you might be told no once, you, are you going to stop there? Do you keep figuring out a way? You know, she's someone who I, um, you know, worked with and hit it off with, and I admire what she's doing. She, to me, is the, is the poster child for this, this show, because she had a career that was getting into a certain point, and she reinvented herself, and she talks about all these same themes. And yet, you, you know, I was like, well, I don't know if I want to, you know, I, I, why have I not even asked? Is a great question. And, right. and I've found that there are many people that I know that I, I haven't even asked. And I mean, do you have that anywhere Cause, in cause your- we fear Because we fear rejection. We fear that if someone says no, then then we feel less than. And we feel like that's a defining event, that we're not worthy. We don't deserve this. 
I remember when I first started writing and speaking, I would take these walks and just be like, God, I am, I'm not worthy, but I'm worthy in you. I would just say, I am worthy. I would like spend a half an hour just trying to remind myself I was worthy because I felt so unworthy. Who am I to be up here speaking in front of these people? I'm a nobody. I did feel like that. But then there's the other part that says you are worthy and that you were made to do this and go do great things. I ask people all the time, do you want to be great? Everyone says yes. I never heard anyone say, yeah, I want to be average. People want to be great. So here's the interesting thing about our journey. We want to be great. We all do. We know that there's greatness inside of us. We can feel it. We know there's more. And that's why we pursue it. But then we have this voice that says you're not. And that's the battle. That is the ultimate battle right there. The battle between good and evil. It is a spiritual battle. The negative voice that tries to keep you from your destiny and the positive voice that tries you to move forward. Anyone who doesn't believe that, just watch Star Wars. It's the battle of good and evil. Harry and Potter, battle of Harry Potter, battle of good and evil. Superman, battle of good and evil. Wonder Woman, good and evil. Even probably the Sopranos, right? In some ways, good yeah, and evil. Totally, totally. The good and evil inside of us, right? We all have it. So are we going to listen to the negative voice? or the positive voice? Are we gonna focus on the bad or focus on the good? Do we let the negative win or do we have the positive? Gandhi said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. And so we're not gonna let anyone walk through our mind with their dirty feet. No, we're gonna be more positive than they are negative. I remember telling my dad I wanna be a writer and speaker. He was a New York City cop. He's like, what the heck you wanna do that for? That's a loaded chunk. That won't amount to anything. He used other words, right? Yeah. And people would think like that would crush you. I was like, all right, whatever, dad. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. You know, a couple of years after that, I was on the Today Show. Saw me in the Today Show and he's like, your mother, I just saw you on TV. You really made a difference. We're so proud of you. We always knew you could do it. <laughs> he didn't even remember being negative. And so I think that's a journey of life. Like, like we, we take it so seriously. It's like, come on, you're going to die one day and you're going to look back on your life. And do you want to live your life for the opinion of others or do you want to just go be who you're meant to be and go for it? And if you fail... Who cares? You went for it. You'll never regret going after your dreams. Even if you don't achieve them, you'll never regret it. And that's the way I've chosen to live my life because I do often think of the end in mind and I do think I'm going to die. And I, well, I know I'm going to die. And I, and I know my parents have died. My mom died at 59. My dad died two years ago. You know, it's 72. My parents are gone. Okay, so then at the end of the day, I'm 47 now, right? I'm an 18 and 20 year old. I have a great wife, a great marriage, but what's the rest of my life? Well, it's to continue to go after new things and pursue new things to do the work you're called to do and to make a difference. I think that's the two things you're here to do. Awesome, man. I, I love how passionate you are about your life, really, and your, and your work. And you just But I wasn't always that way. Yeah. I wasn't always that way. And people need to know that I wasn't. The passion grew. You know, the passion grew over time. The conviction grew over time. A lot of times I was speaking and not even knowing what I was really saying. I was just out there saying it and doing it and just going for it. Young, naive, not even very good. Wasn't a good speaker early on. I think I just got good probably about two years ago. And yeah. so after all these years. And, um, you know, so I, I think that was the thing. It was like just going after after it and not worrying about being perfect. We try to be perfect because again, we don't want to be defined by our performance. And if we're not perfect, what are they going to say? We don't write, we don't write anything down because it has to be perfect. And me, I'm willing to be average. I'm willing for willing to be okay. I'm willing to have people say no, willing for people to say this isn't good. And the critics will. But 
History doesn't remember the critic. History remembers the one who withstood criticism to accomplish something great. And I think that's the beauty of life is knowing that there's always going to be critics. But if you don't listen to them and you listen to those positive voices and the people who believed in you in your own heart, that's what it's all about. People say, oh, you should listen to the critics so they may have valuable things to say. No. Any critic that wants to try to tear you down, do not listen to them. Yeah. Listen to feedback. Listen to critique. Critique yeah, yeah, and like, feedback like to get better. Yeah. To get better. But not the critics whose sole purpose is to tear you down. And there's a difference. Yeah. Or if you're going to listen, you know, as actors, we call it, uh, my friends and I will call it, you know, how do you make yourself director proof? Which means... You know, once in a while, you get really lucky to have a great director who knows how to talk to actors. They know how to not speak in results. They know how to speak in in more the why of why your character is doing whatever they're doing. But a lot of times you get someone who just says, you know, do it faster or do it, you know, funnier or do it whatever it might be or give you a line reading or whatever. And and. Some people, I think, get hung up by it or they get mad at the the director or they get shut down by it. And I think when we talk about director proof, what we're saying is like, how do you work on your craft so, so much so that you know your instrument that you can actually take any direction and you can put it through your computer and transform it into good direction? You can go, okay, they gave me this. They said be faster, but I'm going to put it through my filter, and that actually means maybe the stakes need to come up a little bit. Yeah. Maybe it needs to be more important, and that Got will it. end up driving the, 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 speed the cadence of, of, the, spe- of the, the scene, but I'm not doing it out of an obligation to be faster, to please the director. I'm doing it for my character's needs, and, and it's, it's a difference, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, some people may go, oh, come on, you, nobody knows. Well, maybe they don't know, but you know it. And you believe it as the act, and, and those takes will feel better and more honest. But what if, again, I, I work with a lot of athletes, right? So, but I bet it translates into performance from an acting standpoint as well, or, or even musical. When you are performing early on and you're getting this constant feedback, and if you start listening to the feedback and then start thinking too much about it, then you stop reacting and stop just using your instincts as well at times. Yes. Because you could be thinking so much. Isn't that bad as totally. well? Totally. I mean, I, I have this thing and I won't I won't give you guys a story now. You can go listen to the episode where I get interviewed by Roger Fishman and and I told him about my first experience like auditioning for a play out of college. And I really had not much experience at all. And it was a musical on top of it. But I I really just reverted back to I, I knew I could carry a tune, but they wanted people to come in with 16 bars of music. Here I am telling the story anyway. And I went in and I said, can I sing a cappella? And I, and I said, can I sing like a Billy Joel song? So I went in and it was like, it, w- it was like something out of a TV show where I've never experienced it since, but they had everybody who was auditioning, all, all the people was like community theater in Wilton, Connecticut. And, and everybody was like in the auditorium watching the person audition, which is kind of crazy. And there was a, a pianist over here and they would give the sheet music. You're supposed to have 16 bars of music and everybody got up. And the first four people to get up were all trained musical theater, you know, you know, with, with vibrato and the yeah. whole thing. And I was sitting there going, oh my God, I'm in white t-shirt, jeans and Chuck Taylors. And I'm like, <laughs> just out of BC. And, and I'm like, am I kidding myself here? What, what am I, what am I doing? 
I got up and they said, where's your music? I said, I don't have any. I'm just going to. And I just started snapping my fingers and I started going, whoa, the longest for the longest time. And I just, I sang good. and I moved a little bit. And I ended up getting cast as the chairman who is, it was a, a show called The Mystery of Edwin Drood. And, and it was a play within a play. And they needed a guy with a British accent, which I didn't know how I was going to do that at that point to greet people as they came in and kind of improv with the audience as they came in, then introduce the play and then jump into the play. And there were, two, you know, the whole thing, but they needed a guy that had, excuse my friend, the, the balls to get up there and, and, you know, and yeah. interact and, and have some kind of presence. So if I had judged myself, you know, I was right to judge myself that I wasn't as trained and didn't have the voice that these people had. But that's not what they needed for that role. But I didn't know it. Right. And had I shut myself down and given myself my own no, which I have done in other situations in my life, I never would have gotten that part. But instead I said, eh, who cares? I'll go, I'll throw it out there. Just go for it. And in that case, it worked out. There, there's also tons of stories yeah. I have where I threw things out there and you get, you know, crickets or you get, you know, hammered down and they tell you you're an idiot, you know. But. When I first started speaking, I did not look at my videos a lot afterwards. I did not watch the videos to see what I was doing. I didn't want to get in the way of just being brave and bold with the content. Now I watch the videos because I think I can do can it. handle it. I can handle it from a lens of, oh man, wow, I was speaking faster than I thought there. I need to slow down a little bit. Like, come on, like really emphasize the point there. Don't Don't speak so fast. And so I can watch the video now and it doesn't affect me because I can now look at it as at a stage where, okay, I have to fine tune this, make this a little bit better and be a little slower. Be, you know, again, you know what, John, you know, you've told that story so much, but make sure it's real every time you tell it for the audience because they're only hearing it for the first time, perhaps, you know it, but they're hearing it. Yeah. And so things like that. So in the beginning I didn't, but now I can. And I think that is important to recognize when to really listen to their critique and when to also not let it make you think too much. Yeah. Which is where I am with my writing in a way. I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm more beginnerish as a writer than I am as an actor. So I've now finally, after all this time, gotten to the point where, uh, I could just, I'll, you know, finish this draft of the screenplay, giving it to my friend. And and I don't try to qualify it as much. I just go, look, I know it's got a ways to go. I know roughly what it needs, but you're going to have better, you know, specific advice with outside eyes. This guy's great with story and a couple of other people will read it. And and now I'm like, yeah, that's where I to be right in the now. throw it out there state. But I haven't done that all along. And there are a lot of unfinished projects on my computer over the years because I wasn't, I was too critical of myself and I never got the momentum to go. Right. So finish it first. This is for people listening. I know you know this, but finish it first and then you share it around. So you write the first draft for you. And then the second draft is where you start from people's advice and the tweaking that you need to make. So Stephen King talks about that in On Writing, a great book called On Writing. You know, write the first draft for you. Once it's done, then you could start working with it from there. Yeah. Okay, I want to get one. I know we're coming to close to an hour here, and I want to, uh, I want to just ask you, so something you talked about of how, how you've changed, and I was curious how your relationship to money and your own power, how has it changed as you've progressed? 
You know, if, if there's a, if yeah. that resonates with you. Yeah, I mean, um, people think that I'm going to be different than I am when they meet me. You know, working with all these organizations like I do, and work with all these teams, and I guess uh, when they meet me, they expect me to be different. They are always surprised. They say that I'm I'm very real and authentic, and I think that's just who I am. Like I haven't changed. Even my friends from college will will almost treat you a little different. And say, no, no, I'm the same person. I haven't changed. So I think uh, I've actually grown more humble in ways of just appreciating where I am and, and what I'm here to do. And so- uh, But I think you have changed in a good way. Though. I've changed it. You, you mean you oh. haven't changed in relation to like money? Money, like money or like, all that, yeah. Okay, like, okay. yeah, because I have a lot more money now and, and say what, what the world would describe as success, that hasn't changed me at all. If anything, I believe it's made me more giving, uh, more humble, more appreciative of of what I get to do, and thankful that that I'm someone who gets to do it. So I I, I think that uh, I haven't changed at all with it. I my wife and I try to give a lot back to different charities, our church. We try to support a lot of different causes, which we do. And so for me, um, you know, again, money's never been a driver though ever. And so it's something that I believe comes when you focus on the root, then the fruit will come if you're doing what you love. So it's, it's not, doesn't drive me in that purpose, but does it increase? Yes. But my, my, my whole world hasn't changed as a result of that. Yeah. But I mean, like for instance, we got a place out here in, in, in LA, right in Santa Monica and to spend time out here, but it wasn't because, you know, of a status thing. We want to spend more time out here to be able to, you know, we felt called to start living out here a little bit more. We, we live in Florida more than 60% of the year, but out here, maybe 30%. And just time to, again, creative people out here, meeting people like you. It's just very exciting because there's so much going on. And I feel like there's, it's a center of influence, like in New York City, where you're meeting all these creative people who are doing great things. And from there, you can have an impact on the world. So like we're, we're talking about doing some movies now with a positive message, taking my book Training Camp, make it into a movie, things like that, that we feel meant to do. Again, I may get some nose with it along the way, same yeah. thing, but I'm approaching like everything else. Like it's just something I'm passionate about. And if it's meant to be, it will happen. If not, that's okay too. I love that answer. And what about like with your, with your, your power in a way? I mean, maybe it's, a, it's a, in a way it's the same question or a variation, but just like stepping into your own power to me, you know, just from, from the, the minute you walked onto my property yeah. yesterday and, and we had already done the interview for your show. Yeah. So I, so I did know you a bit, but, in person, you came in such a warmth, but also such a point of view, and and you're really a, a you're a real force. I mean, you Thank really you. are. I told you, Deirdre was was like, I, I love him. Like he, he you you have um, you have something that that's that's very present and and very apparent to to someone who's who's with you. Um, how has that kind of developed or what's your relationship to that now? Was yeah. it, were you a little, like, did you, were you kind of sheepish or skittish about it originally? Not no? skittish, but it, I was, I wasn't um, as convicted as I am now. I didn't know what I know now. Like now I'm very convicted in my thoughts and beliefs and that comes across because I know these things. Whereas in the past, I thought these things. Like when I wrote The Energy Bus, this is what I thought about leadership. This is what I thought about positivity. This is what I thought about organizations and how we can, you know, fuel our life, work in teams with positive energy. Like now I know it because 
you know, I've been around now doing this for since the energy bus came out 11 years. You've seen the success. You've seen teams have an impact. I work with the Rams, see their impact, work with the Dodgers, see the impact, see, work with the Cleveland Browns, see the impact I didn't have. And so <laughs> see, the, see, I, I can't, I, you know, I always say it's never the talk. It's never the book. Right. But cause it's not me. Here's what I've known. It's the principles. So when, when I meet with these leaders or they read my books, they use the principles, never me. It's always the principles and it's always the leader and how the team embraces them and the culture they build and how they lead. Work with Clemson football for seven years. Dabo Sweeney is a force as a leader, not me. We just, I get, just get to work with him, but he'll use my, he's used my principles over the years and my books to convey a certain message to the team. So to me, it's, it's understanding the impact, knowing the role I play in that and that I'm here to provide tools for leaders to do great work, but I also know truth. And I think that's important. Like I know what is true. I know what is real and I know what is important. So I'm very convicted in that. But at the same time, I'm not here to judge anyone and I'm here to love people on this journey. So I think that's where the warmth comes in for yeah. that. But my power is, is that I, that I have is meant to be given away. That's what I realize. It's not meant for me. It's meant to empower others. So positive leaders are here to help people develop their power. Great leaders succeed not because they're great, because they bring out the greatness in others. And I know that when I die, what I want my history to be, what I want my legacy to be is that that I made an impact on people's lives. And that's why I see, I want to bring out their greatness. Like when I met you right away, wow, I see like greatness and you've already accomplished so many great things, but I always see like, what are you even going to do further? Right. Like I see Thank even you, more. Yeah, I yeah. see more. And I meet people, I see what their potential is. My wife says, sometimes that gets me in trouble because someone maybe not be ready for it. Or at the same time, I see the good in them and, you know, not you, but there are some people that still have a lot of bad in them, but I could see what they could be if they focused on the good. Yeah. And so that's something, you know, so I always see that my job is to empower and writing the carpenter, which is about love, serving care. And if you love serving care, those are the greatest leadership principles of all. Love people, serve them, and show that you care. And, I, and if you do those three things, yeah, love people, think about it. Serve their mind, serve their heart, serve their talent, serve their growth. If you help serve people that way and you show you care about them, they'll accomplish much more than they ever thought possible. Believe in people more than they believe in themselves. So I think... I've actually, every book I've written, like I made me a better person along the way. It was weird. I was writing these books about character, but sharing these principles. And then along the way, you experience this as well when you do the podcast, right? You start to grow from the work that you're doing and no longer can I act another way since I wrote it. Or if I do act another way, which happens sometimes if we're flawed, I feel convicted. I'm like, oh, that wasn't very carpenter like. Right, right. You know, that wasn't very energy bus like. Or my daughter will say, Dad, you need to read your own book today. Right. And I'm like, you're right, I do. Because we all fall short. We all fall down. We all make mistakes, right? I'm not perfect. Someone cuts me off in traffic. I may yell back. I'm not perfect in that moment, right? Yeah. It may happen. But along this journey, I think we we grow and we become better from doing the work that we do. Otherwise, again, it's not real. You you have to walk the walk. Yeah. Well, that's funny. That's what my whole screenplay, Mickey Brash, is about, is a guy who's a motivational speaker who is really good at getting other you know, from the stage, but he needs to take his own advice. <laughs> exactly. And, he, and he, only, he only learns that when, you know, something happens that he has to go through and Love he's that. kind of brought to his knees and 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 he he learns that, you know, he was talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And, and by the end, he's... And I was, you know, my, my wife will tell you that like early on, like I was having these ideas and writing these things down, but I wasn't always living it early on. And 
now she knows I'm living it. And it's, you know, so that's why, again, I think our relationship has become so strong because now after all these years, I am living it. But very early on the first like couple of years, I'm like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do that. Like, well, why don't you start living it first? And, yeah. and oh yeah, you say all these nice things, but you're not always living them. You know, you, you give me a hard time at home or you're, you know, you'd be ne you're negative. You wake up in the morning and you're just, you know, you seem like you're upset, blah, blah, blah. And it led me to do this work of just becoming more positive and living it and the gratitude walks and counting your blessings every day and just, you know, a lot of prayer, which is important for me. And that, that helps me and many people be positive. So along the journey, you just start to feed yourself. But what's the purpose of feeding yourself? Is it so you can become fat? No, you feed yourself so that you can now feed others. Yeah. And I think you feed yourself with positivity so you can feed others. And here's what I know. Being positive doesn't just make you better. It makes everyone around you better. And that's the journey, again, I think that we're, that we're on. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to give you a, a the finale, the pop quiz okay. I've been doing. Um, complete this sentence. The word no actually means what? Wow. The word no actually means, well, to that person like, to me, for, you, to, for, for, me, you, for, for me, it means the no means that person's belief, but not my belief. Okay. It's what that person thinks, but has nothing to do with what I think. Okay. Awesome. Um, okay. Uh, first words that pop into your mind right now, they could be a book title, a film title, a movie quote, song lyrics, song title, or just a quote from a speech or something. And why? Love life. Because if you love it, you won't fear it. Love life, because if you love it, you won't fear it. Love where's casts that, out fear. Where's that from? What's that from? Love casts out fear. The Carpenter. Yeah, it's probably my best book I've written. It was uh, 2014. It was a top 10 business book in New York Times. Actually, actually, no, in uh, Time Magazine, one of the best business books of 2014. I think it's my best written book, um, and I think it's just a it's a really cool story about someone who has to learn these principles on their journey as they're trying to build a business with uh, his wife. And give it again, love life. Love life. Because if you love it, you won't fear it. If you love yeah, because love fear. casts out fear. So love is more powerful than fear. We think fear is strong, but it's no match for love. And so fear is the second most powerful force in the universe, but love is the most powerful. So love it. I saw a, a sign as we were walking in here uh, that, that you have up that says, uh, love, love, like, love what you do. Love what you do. If you love what you do, you'll work to become great at it. If yeah. you don't love it, you will not spend the time and energy to be great. So you have to love what you do. Agreed. Okay, last one. If you could go give your younger self advice, what age would you choose to intervene and what would the advice be? I mean, that's that's every book I've written. <laughs> All the 18 books I've written, I'm like, well, I feel like I'm giving advice to my younger self and other people and my kids. Like when I die, I write these books, every book I think, if I die after this book, what lessons do I want to teach my younger self? Which lessons do I want to teach my kids who are in essence, younger versions of, you know, their, their, their offspring of me. So for me, it's um, what advice would I give and when? Like how old would yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, I, you know, I would go back to middle school because middle school was a really tough time, which is a lot of tough time for a lot of people. And I was a chubby kid and I hadn't reached puberty and other kids had. So they were getting bigger and stronger. I got cut from the baseball team. And I remember Coach Keller invited me to come out for track and I started running track. And as I ran track, I realized, okay, I'm actually pretty fast. And I started losing weight and then I got in shape and it gave me confidence when I needed it most. So I guess what I would tell myself during that time, it happened anyway, but I would tell myself, you know, 
you're not the event. You got cut from the baseball team, but but your life is not over. Like, you know, keep moving forward. The best is yet to come. Ah, I love it. I love, love, love it. It's a perfect way to end. John Gordon, thank you very much. I'm going to put show notes to all of John's stuff, uh, all the links and everything. Um, thank you so much, man. Thanks, what an Matt. honor. No, honor to be with you. Third. Awesome. Love it. All right, guys, you know the drill by now. We get the wisdom of my guests, and then I like to leave you with my top three takeaways. So here we go. Number one, if you change one thing, you have to change everything. John talks about being short and how he wished that that wasn't the case, but then he says that that's also what drove him to do all the things he's done. It's a great lesson about gratitude. Instead of looking at your weaknesses like they're holding you back, and I put that weaknesses in quotes, Instead of looking at them as they're holding you back, think about them as your advantage because they force you to be better than others in order to compensate. They're actually a gift. Number two, hope says keep moving forward. This this one is tough to remember in the moment. And trust me, as an actor who is sometimes in the pit of the belly of unemployment, wondering if another job will ever come my way, I sometimes forget too. But choose hope. Just Dangle it in front of you. Even if you don't really believe what you're telling yourself, just keep putting it out there like a light you can walk toward, and eventually the sun will come up. Number three, we're all being given these downloads all the time. Just a lot of us miss them. Now, I thought what John said about writing was brilliant, that, that it's, it's not really him. He calls it God. Maybe you guys call it something else. But the general idea is that something bigger than you is gifting you these incredible downloads all the time. And it's your job to recognize them and be the pen that writes the story. Very cool way of thinking about it. And as you heard, it led me to getting a download of a children's book on that second morning. Now, whether that ever sees the light of day or whether it's any good, that's a whole other question. Maybe not today or tomorrow. Maybe it's 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 there. You know, maybe it's it's something that's going to happen eventually. And when the time is right, maybe I'll take it out and shop it around, and it'll actually exist for others. For now, it's just a process, though. And and how that helps me with writing that's more pertinent for me to focus on right now. And I think it's a really valuable lesson for all of you guys, whether it's writing or any other idea that you have, whether it's toward business or something you want to do with your family, these downloads are there. You just got to recognize them and then act on them. Okay. That's it for today. If you like this one, you'll also love one of my earlier conversations from way back with best-selling author, speaker, mountain climber, Allison Levine, and another one from Deep in the Library, all the way back toward the beginning of 10,000 No's as well, with world champion Ironman triathlete, author, speaker, coach, Siri Lindley. Both of those were excellent and kind of uh, along the same lines of John in terms of uh, worldview and some experiences and really pushing things to the limit and um, just, just kind of positive mindset. Thank you all for being here again. Love the loyalty and the community that's being built. And to that end, we've been talking to some vendors about eventually offering some really cool 10,000 nose apparel, most likely t-shirts and baseball caps to begin with, and a 10,000 nose journal for you to start writing your own story. As you know, a journal from my sister, Christine, saved my life in Italy when I was drifting abroad and having essentially a quarter-life crisis in college. So I want to provide that for you. I'll keep you posted as to when that's up and running. It'll be sometime in 2019. And speaking of 2019, 
That will be when the next episode of 10,000 Knows drops. As I said earlier, we are taking a hiatus for the holidays, give you a chance to catch up on old episodes in our library, and we will be back most likely in early February. But be sure to follow me on Instagram at Matty Dell, Twitter at Matthew Del Negro, or Facebook, Matthew Del Negro, or Matthew Del Negro fan site for the latest news. There's a possibility we may release some key episodes we have in the can that may be appropriate as you're kicking off the new year, but just check back with me on that. 2019 is going to be a big one. I'm really excited for everything we have going on here. I'm excited for you and really appreciative for your support. Thank you so much. Enjoy your holidays and we will see you soon.